This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read and recorded by Betsy Bush, Marquette, Michigan, December 2006. The Voyages of Dr. Doolittle by Hugh Lofting. Part 1, Chapter 7. Shellfish Talk. The next morning, although I had gone to bed so late the night before, I was up frightfully early. The first sparrows were just beginning to chirp sleepily on the slates outside my attic window when I jumped out of bed and scrambled into my clothes. I could hardly wait to get back to the little house with the big garden to see the doctor and his private zoo. For the first time in my life I forgot all about breakfast— and creeping down the stairs on tiptoe, so as not to wake my mother and father, I opened the front door and popped out into the empty, silent street. When I got to the doctor's gate, I suddenly thought that perhaps it was too early to call on anyone, and I began to wonder if the doctor would be up yet. I looked into the garden. No one seemed to be about, so I opened the gate quietly and went inside. As I turned to the left to go down a path between some hedges, I heard a voice quite close to me say, "'Good morning. How early you are!' I turned around, and there, sitting on the top of a privet hedge, was the grey parrot Polynesia. "'Good morning,' I said. "'I suppose I am rather early. Is the doctor still in bed?' "'Oh, no,' said Polynesia. "'He has been up an hour and a half.' "'You'll find him in the house somewhere. "'The front door is open. "'Just push it in and go in. "'He is sure to be in the kitchen cooking breakfast "'or working in his study. "'Walk right in. "'I am waiting to see the sunrise. "'But upon my word, I believe it's forgotten to rise. "'It is an awful climate, this. "'Now if we were in Africa, "'the world would be blazing with sunlight at this hour of the morning.' "'Just see that mist rolling over those cabbages. "'It is enough to give the rheumatism to look at it. "'Beastly climate, beastly. "'Really, I don't know why anything but frogs ever stay in England. "'Well, don't let me keep you. "'Run along and see the doctor.' "'Thank you,' I said. "'I'll go and look for him.' "'When I opened the front door, I could smell bacon frying, "'so I made my way to the kitchen.' There I discovered a large kettle boiling away over the fire, and some bacon and eggs in a dish upon the hearth. It seemed to me that the bacon was getting all dried up with the heat, so I pulled the dish a little further away from the fire, and went on through the house looking for the doctor. I found him at last in the study. I did not know then that it was called the study. It was certainly a very interesting room— with telescopes and microscopes, and all sorts of other strange things which I did not understand about, but wished I did. Hanging on the walls were pictures of animals and fishes and strange plants, and collections of birds' eggs, and seashells in glass cases. The doctor was standing at the main table in his dressing-gown. At first I thought he was washing his face. He had a square glass box before him full of water— he was holding one ear under the water while he covered the other with his left hand. As I came in, he stood up. "'Good morning, Stubbins,' said he. "'Going to be a nice day, don't you think? 
I've just been listening to the whiff-waff. But he is very disappointing, very. Why? I said. Didn't you find that he has any language at all? Oh, yes, said the doctor. He has a language. But it is such a poor language, only a few words like yes and no, hot and cold. That's all he can say. It's very disappointing. You see, he really belongs to two different families of fishes. I thought he was going to be tremendously helpful. Well, well. I suppose, said I, that means he hasn't very much sense if his language is only two or three words. Yes, I suppose it does. Possibly it is the kind of life he leads. You see, they are very rare now, these whiff-waffs. Very rare and very solitary. They swim around in the deepest parts of the ocean entirely by themselves, always alone. So I presume they really don't need to talk much. Perhaps some kind of a bigger shellfish would talk more, I said. After all, he is very small, isn't he? Yes, said the doctor, that's true. Oh, I have no doubt that there are shellfish who are good talkers, not the least doubt. But the big shellfish, the biggest of them, are so hard to catch. They are only to be found in the deep parts of the sea, and as they don't swim very much, but just crawl along the floor of the ocean most of the time, they are very seldom taken in nets. I do wish I could find some way of going down to the bottom of the sea. I could learn a lot if I could only do that. But we are forgetting all about breakfast. Have you had breakfast yet, Stubbins? I told the doctor that I had forgotten all about it, and he at once led the way into the kitchen. Yes, he said, as he poured the hot water from the kettle into the teapot. If a man could only manage to get right down to the bottom of the sea and live there a while, he would discover some wonderful things, things that people have never dreamed of. But men do go down, don't they? I asked. Divers and people like that? Oh, yes, to be sure, said the doctor. Divers go down. I have been down myself in a diving suit, for that matter. But my, they only go where the sea is shallow. Divers can't go down where it is really deep. What I would like to do is to go down to the great depths, where it is miles deep. Well, well, I dare say I shall manage it some day. Let me give you another cup of tea. End of part one, chapter seven.